Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Mike. Lauren. Have you ever taken a tour of a chip fab? A chip fab? A chip fab. You mean like a place where they make tortilla chips? (laughs) Not exactly. This is a place where the tiny, tiny pieces of silicon inside of our phones are stamped. Everything that we are doing right now, zooming and taping this podcast, would cease to exist without this. Oh, I see. Yeah. Have you ever toured one of those fabs? I have not. I understand they are very difficult to get inside of. They are. But one of our Wired colleagues was able to get inside one recently. Please say more. We're going to talk to her about it right now. Awesome. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined by longtime Wired contributor Virginia Heffernan. Hey, Virginia. It's great to have you on the show. Hi to both of you. Virginia, we brought you onto the podcast this week because you recently got a look inside one of the most important and most secretive tech manufacturers on the planet. That's TSMC, or Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Now, TSMC is a big deal in the tech world, even if they don't have the name recognition of companies like Apple or Google. And that is somewhat intentional, right? Because TSMC has struck deals with some of these giant tech companies precisely because it emphasizes discretion and trust. TSMC makes semiconductors, the little chips that power everything from phones to computers to cars to weapons. The company is also under a lot of pressure both in the business world and geopolitically. China, which is just to the Northeast, has long claimed Taiwan its territory, partly because it wants to fold Taiwan's successful industries 
like semiconductors, into its own economy. So tensions between Taiwan and China are high, and TSMC is right in the middle of all of that. Now, Virginia, you saw inside TSMC, and you titled your story in Wired, I saw the face of God in a semiconductor factory. (laughs) It sounds like an interesting experience, to say the least. So why was this something of a religious experience for you? Well, first off, I um, the idea for the story came when I was listening to a podcast by Adam Tooze, Ones and Twos, one of my favorite podcasts. And in passing, he was talking about the geopolitical importance that you alluded to of the of the fabricators, which everyone just calls the fabs. But he also wanted to add that there's something even more astonishing about these places. And the fact that we do thing these things, he said, at nanoscale means we are up against the face of God, up against the face of God. You know, he's got like the best (laughs) ever Oxford accent. Um, And uh, the word fabs was the one that eluded me because if we're going to be up against the face of God, I thought I would hear Anchor Watt or, you know, the Mona Lisa or whatever before it. But no, it's this word fabs. Um, I called a chip manufacturer, a buddy of mine, and he said, yes, that's where they make these things. And he conveyed that the atomic constructions where they quite literally etch on atoms are in fact an almost you know divine religious experience. And that if there were any chance that I could get into a TSMC fab in particular, that I would find my mind blown. And I did. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about TSMC. It stands for Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, right? And I think that's probably like it does exactly what it says on the tin. Um, <laughs> how big is the company? Where are they? What do they do exactly? Um, it is the uh, it, you know obviously market cap varies, but um, at last glance, it was the, something like the tenth um, most valuable company in the world. Um, it is it is a giant incredibly powerful company. It's more, it's richer than Meta. It's richer than uh, Exxon. Um, They are based in Sinshu, uh, which is to the south of Taipei in Taiwan. Um, And, uh, and um, yeah, they, they, oh, well, not only are they a factory that, um, that makes these chips and they supply 92%, which is, market share to beat the band. Like nobody has that kind of market share, right? Of anything else. 92%, like 92% of all chips around the globe. The most sophisticated chips around the globe come from come from TSMC. So 92% and more than 50% of all the chips. Wow. And they supply chips to Apple, which means if TSMC chips vanish from the face of the earth, your iPad, your iPhone, your MacBook, this conversation would be bricked. Um, And that is, you know, that's part of the reason that America and Taiwan have such a close alliance. You know, when Nancy Pelosi controversially went to Taiwan, she met with the president and the CEO of uh, TSMC, the chairman, Mark Liu. Um, These things almost speak as one, the Taiwanese government and the semiconductor industry, and in particular TSMC. Now, TSMC is semi-jokingly referred to in the Taiwanese media as the sacred mountain of protection. There are a lot of religious themes going on here. (laughs) Why is it called that? Tell us about this. 
So um, you alluded to in the beginning that, that, that you know, China's uh, interest in, in the fabs and, and in TSMC in particular is integral to how it sits in the region and integral to its safety, the so-called silicon shield that makes, um, makes the island, it's a, like an artifact of, of realpolitik, that if you sacked the island, you would be slaying the world's goldenest goose and uh, it would be useless to you. Right. So like if if Ukraine had some extremely sophisticated technology that Russia depended on that couldn't be seized, then it might have stopped Putin from invading Ukraine. And that bet has been made in Taiwan for for several decades that this thing cannot. No one will seize Taiwan, this incredibly vulnerable island, because it has this precious thing that cannot operate without Taiwanese supervision and supervision of these highly trained engineers. That's called the Silicon Shield. On the island, there's a, especially among the people Mark Liu calls common people, there's an idea that um, TSMC is, first of all, the engineering is so sophisticated there and such, it is such a masterpiece of civilization. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's monumental what happens there. It's like, you know, like having any kind of enormous resource or, you know, the Italian Renaissance or something. So they like, they like to believe that the fabs themselves represent something so sublime and, um, and also so powerful geopolitically and commercially that it means the island could never be hurt. It's like having mm. the, having a blessing of a great deity that protects you. Now, at TSMC, they don't like this expression. They say think it puts a target on their back. They think that's way too much for one company uh, to um, to do for a whole island. But they also respect. Mark Leo told me that that this is something that um, common Taiwanese who feel vulnerable, you know, may like to tell themselves. It's a kind so, of American, ex- like American exceptionalism. So the existence of this theoretically keeps China from invading. It theoretically keeps China from invading, but it also mm-hmm. keeps them at it, at a crux in the supply chain that is so important. Um, you know, it, every country likes to say that the world can't live without them. It's like, you know, Italian craft, craft work or something. And just as a case of national pride and confidence... The idea that they have this sacred mountain of protection, which is, I think, a, a few, only a few characters in Chinese, so it's it's a like very short phrase, um, that they have this makes them unique among nations and singularly indispensable. Something else that I thought was interesting about your story is that there is this vast supply chain that basically wraps around the earth to supply the raw materials and the resources that TSMC and the other fabs in Taiwan need in order to make these chips, right? That's right. And what's incredibly, when I asked Mark Liu, the CEO, in passing about his, I was going to ask him about his hopes and fears, right? Just a simple question. I said, um, what are your hopes? And the first thing he said was, I love this, that the bad guys will get their penalty. I don't know exactly what he's talking about. I think he means <laughs> autocratic states. I think he really means autocratic states, mm-hmm. including up to and including Russia. I mean, he 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 they their contempt for Xi is rivaled by their contempt for Putin. They hate autocrats. They love democracy. Um, but his other hope, he said, was that, quote, human collaboration will continue. And that means so much is packed into that because as you say, the supply chain is incredibly complex. 
TSMC is one of the only places I've ever seen people talk fondly about globalization. It's just the height of still thinking that like the best thing we could do was ha is have global commerce. So the fact that they trade with New Zealand, Japan, all the way up to places like the Emirates, who are not strictly speaking democracies, uh, Dominican Republic, South American states, of course, the US, of course, all the countries in the EU, that they form this, the rules-based world order, as the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, invariably calls it, that this is a source of like just the most complex collaboration among countries, you know, around the world. I love this, wrapped around the world. That's exactly right. And Mark Liu's enthusiasm about human collaboration on a small level, just the three of us talking right now and working together, and on a global level, where countries with the rule of law with a sense of fairness, with ideally a sense of justice and certainly human rights, trade with each other, trust each other. Uh, there's a glasnost among those nations um, and countries that use slave labor like the Uyghurs or use coal-fired coal factories are exiled or sidelined from it because they're cheaters. They're not trustworthy. Um, and what's great about that is it doesn't put this in a moral framework. It puts it in the original enlightenment framework of democracy and global commerce and pluralism working together. Um, what I love is it's so pragmatic, but the, it's such a calling at TSMC that they use this religious language um, to express their enthusiasm for it. One thing that we learned from reading your story, and by the way, I have it printed out here because I took it in the in the bathtub with me last night. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it is 43 pages printed out, and I enjoyed every second of it. And one thing I learned from reading your story is the importance of photolithography in the process yeah. of making semiconductors. Yeah. Can you quickly talk us through how that works? And um, yes. also, I'm very curious, how much is a quintillion? Like, seriously, oh, yes. I want to know. I saw that it's... word, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to Google it. I'm just going to ask Virginia tomorrow. <laughs> I think it's it's I think it may be one with 18 zeros. I think is what it is. 18 zeros, quintillion. Wow. It's a billion billion. It's a billion billion. So this is in reference to the sentence every 6 months just one of TSMC's 13 foundries, the redoubtable Fab 18 in Tainan, carves and etches a quintillion transistors for Apple. And I read that and thought, what is quintillion? So now we know. Okay, but back to the photolithography. Yeah. Why is this so important? How does this process work? All right. When chips, uh, people first started making chips in the semiconductor industry in the U.S., um, they could fit four transistors on them. So like first you had these switches basically that have like a bunch of wires around them and they're connected to another switch with, which, with a bunch of wires and it conducts electricity among them. Then someone has the bright idea, someone whose name is known, but we'll skip that, to put um, silicon, a little bit of silicon underneath it and make all those switches talk to each other by way of the semiconductivity of the silicon underneath them, right? And it's four, okay? Then they start to realize, oh, you can shrink those transistors down a little bit here and there. And it starts to, at some point, it doubles. Then Gordon Moore says, from what I've experienced, this is going to double about every year, possibly every two years. That becomes Moore's law. And ever since then, We've been shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. As you all know from chessboard, the chessboard, you know, double the grain of rice. This goes mm -hmm. fast. So you went from four transistors in the early 60s to now trillions on the same size thumbnail chip. So you have trillions of transistors, uh, you know, on something the size of your thumbnail. 
how in the world do you do that? Well, you're no longer using wax, which they used in the beginning, or like a knife or a carving tool to do mm-hmm. lithography like you do with like batik, you know, right? Like you'd put the ink and it would lay down and it would, there'd be opaque places that it wouldn't pass through. The knife gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it becomes light and like a laser beam. And then the light gets more and more precise as it moves up the spectrum. So, you know, you remember it's like down here, there's at slow, low loping uh, wavelengths. There's radio, radio waves all the way up to past the visible spectrum to gamma rays on the far right. X-rays are in there. Microwaves are in there. But at ultraviolet, which is where they are now, they use extreme ultraviolet little knives with like very small wavelengths, not the smallest, but very small, precise wavelengths. That's the knife now. And that is what they do lithography with. So you picture batik, you know, or some other kind of art lithography done smaller, 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 smaller till you are dealing with electrons and lasers and light waves and atoms. And that's how you get a trillion objects on your thumbnail. They're smaller than the coronavirus. Um, these transistors, they, they were, when I started writing, by the way, it was like they could fit 11.7 billion on. I took that figure actually from a book that came out a couple of years ago. By the time I was done writing, they had one with a trillion. That's wow. like what? What, double, what frequent doubling will do for you, right? And you can begin to taste the mind-blowingness of this just... Like, Lauren, you're smiling right now, right? It's a very particular smile that a person gets when you just start to think about atoms. I don't know what it is. It's like so trippy. There's atoms in everything, all all mass. It's just so cool. I was just going to say, it's rather stony, but trippy is the right word, I think. (laughs) And that someone could come in and put art on something four atoms thick. You know, I say in the piece, it's like being in outer space. Like if you thought you drill down and look at an atom and there's like a little signature on it or a tattoo on it that you know a human made, it's like being in outer space and coming on, you know, the uh, the the David or like, so, you know, just floating in space. Like a human, the kind of people that we like love and cherish are is here in a space that humans and the human intelligence doesn't penetrate usually. So that's why I wanted to go into the fabs. I wanted well, to see who does this and how. I hate to be the one to bring us right back down to earth right now, but we do have to take a break. Um, and it seems like it would be a falsehood for me to say. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what Virginia saw, since you can't actually see these things. But when we come back, we're going to talk about what you quote unquote saw. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. 
The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. All right, we've built it up enough. Now it's time to go inside the fab. Virginia, back in October of 2022, you were finally let inside the TSMC fab. I'm curious, how did you finally convince them to let you in? And why do you think they granted you access? Um, The uh, PR person at TSMC, because as we said, TSMC likes to keep itself indispensable to the world, but invisible. So the fact that listeners don't know the name TSMC is by design. They remember when Intel had Intel inside stamped on Apple boxes. They Mm -hmm. think that was like the signature disaster in the whole sector. Mm -hmm. The worst thing any company, right, Mm -hmm. very tacky. So we are the brain of everything, but we're like, like all the reflected glory and all the, all, all the marketing budget. Is has to be spent by Apple. We don't do any consumer-facing stuff. So most people who go to the press office at TSMC are potentially, I mean, the thing that they're looking out for is like some Edward Snowden type, right? Like someone who wants to steal secrets for China or like reveal this and that. I mean, this is like going and looking at someone's like nuclear program, right? Or they're looking for someone who wants to steal trade secrets for Intel, those are the two outside things. But most people who ask to look are interested in either co- global commerce or geopolitics, national security. I was interested in neither of those because, as I said earlier, I just wanted to behold the face of God. And I very... <laughs> did you say it Adam- like that to them when you were making oh, your yeah. plea? Oh, yeah. I did many <laughs> Adam Two's impressions. But what was amazing is that I thought, you know, sometimes a like Gonzo reporter like me uh, it's an impediment, right? Like you, like celebrities don't like readily lease out their like, you know, buttoned up people to someone who might, you know, spend a long time just, you know, describing their eyebrows. But if to my surprise, Michael Kramer, the, the head of PR is quite a religious person himself. And what he said was, we have a lot of Christians here who, and religious people and deists who haven't been able to talk about their faith, including the chairman. So he rarely gives interviews, but he wants to talk to you about God. So in a weird way, my the strangeness of my angle was exactly what it made it possible for them to talk to me. Also, the fact that I don't have any spy chops and clearly was not going to be able to steal any, <laughs> steal, steal any secrets. So basically what you're saying is because you were not crafty enough. I was <laughs> you not were, crafty You were enough. just religious enough and not crafty enough. And they let they you They were in. just like, let in this flake. Come on, what harm <laughs> could she do? <laughs> I love it. I mean, but they must have also found your voracious curiosity also pretty appealing. Yes. And also a source of humor, at least to some of them, that they, because, you know, it's interesting because I've now I've since learned that lots of engineering schools um, will talk about something like transubstantiation or alchemy that happens in the fabs, but they tell that to engineers, and I think engineers take it in, but they can never translate it 
to anyone. And so they stopped talking about it. But they sometimes talk about it among themselves. Like, it was really interesting to hear some of these photolithography people talking about being on drugs, like a religious experience once you, um, you know, get to a new generation of smallness in the transistors. Um, you know, were you, we, there is a vocabulary like this, which is for other kinds of atomic technology, like the Manhattan Project. I mean, those guys, for, forget about Einstein, like Oppenheimer, you know, I am become death. Like this is, the, these were not uh, workaday mechanical engineers saying like, oh, that's great. I got the engine to be more efficient. These are people who do think that with atoms, they're up against something so elemental that it becomes a kind of high for them. So they were mixed. A lot, a few people said, you're not gonna see anything in the fabs. And at some point I said, even I know that much about nanos. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna go in and see, you know, it's not gonna be a Broadway show. It's not in the visible spectrum. I totally get it. So when you went in to uh, confront God and mortality and all of those things, did you have to yeah. wear the bunny suit? I did have to wear the bunny suit. Yes, the gowning room is itself incredibly clean. Um, I also, you know, so I had a COVID mask, glasses, something covering my hair, something covering my whole body, my shoes, my hands. And um, that also contributed to this kind of disassociation that happens um, happens in the fabs. They, there's a very clear saying and thought that time flies in the fabs. And you know, it was the cleanest air I've ever breathed. It's a clean room, more than one clean room 100, better than clean room 100, meaning, you know, 100 particles per cubic foot. Um, we're sitting here in with it in millions of particles per, per cubic foot. There, it's so it's the cleanest air you've ever breathed. It, I was saying to someone, it's like a decongestant sort of, it's like you can breathe suddenly much better than you can. And like, that's the, that's what, you know, that's what Adderall does. Like there's partly a decongestant factor in like speedy things. So maybe that's part of the reason for the time flying factor. But it's it it was um, physically altering sort of the second I got inside. So in your story, you take us through the experience of, of stepping into the fab and standing inside among all the machines. And the first thing you notice is that it feels like a hospital uh, from the overhead surgical style lights to the way that the giant litho machines sort of seem like incubators with delicate transistor babies inside. Uh, what was it about the space that made your mind go to that environment? Well, f first off, I, th it was true. I couldn't see much. And part of the reason I wasn't allowed to see much and no one's allowed to see much is that we contaminate whatever the thing is. And it's so small that it that it is dangerous to be near it, you know, our clumsiness or whatever, out of scale of it. So I was walking around with these like white machines with like very, very thick, you know, like three times bulletproof glass on them where you could see little things. And I just I just suddenly had the impression that I was in a NICU among immunocompromised, prematurely born newborn, you know, newborns. Um, and, you know, I think you can imagine and know maybe what the feeling is like when you just think of like a little human, like a little, a little tiny, tiny, tiny soul that's like flickering between existence and non-existence. And I don't think anyone can be blasé or cynical about the idea of life in the flicker like that. 
you know, you, you like just, it's the cosmic potential and the littleness and the possibility of, um, of what this thing might be is there all the time. And also um, our human inadequacy, you know, as like adult sized humans to take care of something so precious like that, um, without hurting it. So it was like, it was that kind of, I thought it would be more explicitly religious in some way, but it was, it, yeah, it was this experience of, of, of being in a hospital. You kind of wanted to hold your breath. And you wrote about the experience of visiting TSMC in general, that you were expecting something a little more aptly or googly on the inside, right? And uh, that, yeah. that was not the vibe at all. I mean, you had the one experience with the incredibly sterile and hygienic fab, but then yes. around the offices, um, you you wrote that the executives and engineers there had some choice words about American engineers and American tech culture. Talk about yes. that a little bit too, and how that played into your visit to the fab. Yeah, I got the set. There's there's this really funny um, sort of almost inversion of how um, American tech culture works, where like the engineering can be sort of subpar, but the way the perks at the Google Flex, the style, the Paytech Philippe's, the like, you know, overbuilt Jeff Bezos bodies, the, uh, you know, I looked up what the, what the, uh, what they were serving in the, um, in the, you know, free Google cafeteria the day that I went in there and it was pecan, <laughs> pecan crusted, what was it? Rockfish and um, Rose Lassie, right? That was one of the things at the Google cafeteria the day that I went in there. And yet... The engineers, as you say, are widely considered, um, well, people in Taiwan uh, at TSMC, uh, you know, off the record, will say they, they're babies. They just, they can't stay in these fabs late enough. They don't work hard enough. They're not curious enough to see the face of God or the face of nature. They don't right. have enough, you know, they can't make a crystal that takes, each one takes 30 days in perfect conditions to make these lenses. They just get tired and they just want to go to the gym or do their like dumb nap room or whatever. Yeah, this is what Kara Swisher calls assisted living for millennials. Assisted living Francisco for millennials. Tech companies. Yeah, It's perfect. But I did say, I said, so wait, do they get any perks here to, you know, to one of the people, uh, you know, in HR? And they said, oh, yeah, they get, uh, let's see, 10% discount at 7-Eleven and 10% at uh, Burger King. Uh, that's another one they get, 10% at Burger King. <laughs> I just love 10%, 10%. At good old BK. At, and you right. you drank the 7-Eleven coffee and it was perfectly, you wrote perfectly potable. It was perfectly potable. And especially when you know that, you know, the guy's gotten it for 10% off. I mean, it, you know, it was a dollar and it was 90 cents. And like, you know, it ta I tasted every cent. Um, nice. It was, yeah. But, but you know, so the, the culture of absolute precision and obsession inside the fabs. And then this, this aesthetic that I heard called Chaba Duo, it's good enough, whatever, outside the fabs. No one talked about the food. No one said where we should get anything, you know, go to eat. No one like swept me off my feet for some farm to table thing. It was just like mediocre, weird flatbreads from Starbucks or this thing at 7-Eleven. I just got so used to it. I mean, I, I, my, my luggage had been lost anyway. So I had to wear these clothes I got in a mall. And they were, it was kind of like maybe like an old Navy-ish, you know, like seconds, like the stitches were kind of wrong. And I just gave into it. I was like, right, save your energy for 
the heavy thinking and the heavy lifting and trying to understand this engineering and, you know, drop off the lifestyle part of it. Meanwhile, things. American engineers would say that that culture is more like a sweatshop. That's it. They they have said that. We just opened, you probably know, TSMC opened a subsidiary fab, great fanfare, but Joe Biden was there in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it goes into production next year. And in Taiwan, you know, again, off the record, just like they'll never handle it. They're babies. And as it's happening, some of the training engineers are already saying, this is a sweatshop, we can't do it. And there's an element of racism in the description of like, oh, this work is so monotonous. Well, it's monotonous the way that it's something's monotone if you don't have good enough hearing to hear the variety, the symphony in the note. And I what feel do you like mean it's by a that? failure. Well, just as we can't see the electrons and the atoms that are the work of lithography, we can't hear the ver rich variety and imaginative possibilities. I know I can't. I have to have them explained to me in doing atomic constructions. It looks, apparently, it looks just like making an umbrella on a line to, uh, to American engineers when to them, it's no greater privilege. No greater privilege. I mean, they were talking about their work. I've never heard people talk about their work this way. I mean, maybe like a poet or a painter who somehow makes a living off it. No resentment. You know, these, these are billionaires. I said, where do they live? And someone was like, oh, I, I don't know, condo over there. No lifestyle. The guy, one of the, the head of the company works in his church. You know, one guy, another billionaire who developed this particular photolithography had just fixed his own roof. You know, he's 80. <laughs> they like play tennis. They wear pretty much the same clothes every day. You know, very light on their, just like light, flexible, imaginative, fun, not rushed, not, I mean, I left and I went there thinking about Elon Musk, right? Like we all are. And I just came away thinking, he's just not an engineer. It's not a tech company. Like, can I cannot imagine one of these guys who's like, here's my day, you know, be with my wife, check in on my children, go to my church and do some volunteer work, um, go and study the face of God, uh, you know, under an electron scanning microscope with someone else equally interested in it and know that I'm doing the right thing, play a couple of rounds of tennis with a graduate student and um, go home and fix the roof and then, you know, make a nice meal in a, in a like fairly modest setting. I mean, and then there are people with 10 wives who marry Grimes and are on Twitter and we think... No offense, people, mm -hmm. not, no offense to Grimes. No offense to Grimes, who got out of that. So good, good on Grimes. But um, that we that we think that Elon Musk, you know, who doesn't actually have a nine a monopoly on ninety two semi monopoly on ninety two percent of the world's most advanced chips. It's like, what do we think a tech god is supposed to be? I mean, this Mark Liu is as aspirational a person as I've ever confronted for someone that you would like want your son to be because he's just, or your daughter, he just got an absolute passion for something, a absolute passion. I've never heard someone with a passion like this before. I mean, I'm trying to think, maybe you meet like a, maybe an athlete, great athlete, you know, or like a spectacular musician, like a Glenn Gould or something. But um, short of that, I, I don't know anyone with this kind of passion for their work. And I don't know the last time Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, you know, spoke, I don't think they ever have spoke about, you know, the absolute elegance of a laser beam or why it's silicon that is the beautiful element 
you know, on which so much of our lives are now predicated. I mean, the, them singing the glories of uh, water and the refractive indexes of water and, uh, and silicon just blew my mind. Well, Virginia, your passion for this story is certainly bleeding through this podcast, and we're so glad you joined us to talk about it. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to do our recommendations. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition. Click Here. And liftoff. Click Here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Virginia, what is your fab recommendation this week? And by fab, I mean fabulous. <laughs> yeah, let's restore it to its real, real, real uh, <laughs> meaning. Um, Seven Seconds is a show you can find on Netflix. It's from 2018. Vina Sood made it and so few people saw it. She also did The Killing. Um, it's just an extraordinary detective show set in Jersey City in a context of Black of Black Lives Matter. So it stars Regina, Regina King. It really is just, it, it's, it, I don't know how it got missed. Like if you told me something had happened interesting in the production that made no one see it. But I really think it's like one of the best things I've seen on TV and I'm watching it for a third time. And then I realized I never recommend it to anyone. I just keep watching it. Um, and so someone else should share the magic. Seven seconds is what it's called. What's the premise of Seven Seconds? So um, it starts with a kid killed on, it's actually based on a Russian movie. A kid is uh, riding his bike and he's run over by someone. And um, then a cover-up begins um, because the driver is an off-duty cop. Uh, the kid hit is black. and um, But then, you know, there are all kinds of other dramas involving the families, involving what blackness is. But it foregrounds Black Lives Matter in a detective story. So it's just an extremely compelling plot with, you know, an entirely open um, place to find not a morality tale, but just like an incredibly complex acknowledgement of the realities of, of Black Lives Matter and um, police violence. Thank you for that recommendation. I'm definitely going to check that out. So good. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? I would like to recommend a podcast. On a podcast? Yes. Yeah, it's so called uh, How to Fix the Internet. And it's a podcast that is produced by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the mm. EFF.org podcast, um, particularly the episode that just came out. Uh, it's the most recent one. It's called So You Think You're a Critical Thinker. Uh, and the guest on the show is Alice Marwick, who is a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, and she studies disinformation and conspiracy theories. And she goes very deep on conspiracy theories on the internet, how they originate, how they spin out into the real world, and particularly what the relationship is between a person who believes in conspiracy theories and their ideas of self-identification and self-worth and mm. disenfranchisement. So it's mm. a really interesting and very thought-provoking conversation. It's also just fun. 
because you get to hear about, you know, like lizard people living under the Denver airport, uh, which I didn't know about until I until Boone told me about it. Our producer, he, he was like, oh, yeah, don't you know that there's lizard people living under the Denver airport? What does that airport? mean exactly? There are conspiracy theories that oh, there are actually like a like subterranean a of, okay. society of lizard uh, people got living it, underneath. Got it. Got it. Okay. And, and now and thus yeah. we have now spread it. Yes. Misinformation happens. Yes. So that was the I shot and the chaser. I, I just downloaded it while you were describing it. That sounds fantastic. Nice. It's it's a great show. Uh, there are all kinds of great guests. There's a different guest every episode. Uh, but this last episode was the one that made it sort of jump out of my mind is something that I have to tell people about. So, yeah, it's the EFF's podcast, How to Fix the Internet. Cool. Congrats to the EFF. They did it. <laughs> they did it. They canceled the show. No, no need for any more episodes. Lauren, what's your recommendation? Like Virginia, I have a streaming series recommendation. I'm catching up a little bit on my 2022 watching, and I just watched and completed Bad Sisters. Bad Sisters oh, yes. is on Apple TV+. Plus. It is an Irish series. It's 10 episodes. The series is about five sisters who are living outside of Dublin. And um, one of them is married to a particularly bad egg. He's just this infuriatingly mean character. And you find out very early on in the series that he is dead, right? It's the first episode. Um, and the whole show is basically about whether or not the other four sisters who were trying to save their sister from an abusive relationship um, are implicated in the murder of this man. And um, it's fantastic. It's darkly funny. It's also touching at times. The characters are really well developed. Um, it's it. I think it's really well shot. I mean, I just I really really enjoyed the series. I'm probably going to go back and rewatch it. Nice. And I highly recommend. And now I I really want to go to Dublin. By the way, like I just I all I want to do is like go take a dip in the forty foot. Um, which those who watch the show will understand um, oh. as a person who sometimes goes swimming in cold water, nice. albeit with wetsuit. Uh, yeah, it's a just, yeah, a really wonderful show. Bad Sisters on Apple TV+. Plus. Virginia, have you seen it? I have seen it and I loved it too. And I want, I, I mean, can we just go for a dip in that water? If we, do, if, if it's possible to just do it and not, you don't have to be one of those sisters to do it, we should do it together <laughs> because I can't imagine not doing it with a woman that I'm close to because all you're supposed to do is be one of those sisters, sit in that water and, you know, like slag everybody off and gossip. Exactly. And, yeah. Yes. The, the cold water at the 40 foot is definitely a metaphor. It's you yeah. just, you have to dive in. Um, let's yeah. do it. I, I mean, we should probably I mean, tape an episode from there. We'll just like bring yes. our little podcast recorders in the water with us and like hold with it. a baggie We're over really it. Cold? No, <laughs> I can't feel my fingers anymore. I'm I'm completely in. Mike, maybe maybe you can join too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you thinking of me in this in this time. Virginia, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about your experience inside the TSMC fab. Everyone should go read your story uh, titled, I Saw the Face of God in a Semiconductor Factory, and that's on Wired.com right now. Thank you so much for having me. And Mike, thanks as always for being a great co-host. Of course. Right back at you. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes and feel free to leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth, and we'll be back next week. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. 
The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.